Welcome to episode 16 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riddick, joined once again by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and producer, Johnny Pham. Johnny, fresh off a birthday. I believe that was number 25, right? Birthday number 25? Yep, yep. 25th birthday yesterday. Um, not feeling too different than the day before, but quarter of a century. Well, that's the only reason why you're not feeling differently this birthday is because you're still one birthday away from the old aging off the parents and insurance if you haven't been removed from their insurance yet already. Yeah, yeah. One more year. But then also <laughs> this year was a lot different from previous birthdays because we didn't go out to like a bar. Uh, I know one of our league mates, Dozy, uh, kept sending me like Snapchats from like four years ago. Johnny was outside of the sandbar puking in a corner. I was like, don't send me this, please. And and I just look back. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of glad I'm a little older now to not be doing that nowadays. Yeah, I don't know if it's come with age. I think it's more come with COVID for you. But um, <laughs> but so you said you had dinner last night. You guys went out for dinner. What what was your dinner of choice and your new location? Ooh, we went to a steakhouse that is in. It's called Ted's Montana's Grill. Uh, free pub. Um, they have locations like in Wyoming, Montana. It's got New York Strip with some like mashed potatoes. Uh, one beer. And then just chilled on the patio after. Nice. All righty. And also with me, like I mentioned, uh, the old trusty, old faithful co-host, Dalton Willie. And Dalton, I think there's only one place we can start the conversation today. We don't usually talk about waivers since we always record after waivers have run. But um, I think I I about swallowed uh, my, my cereal, like choked on my cereal, I should say, this morning when I got up and saw... The amount of money spent. I, I, w- I wish for you to explain yourself. You did it in two different leagues, so you have really strong <laughs> convictions in this. It's Dearness Johnson season, and nothing's stopping me from riding this train all the way to a national championship. Uh, but a couple things led me to bidding an absurd amount of money on him. One, Cream Hunt's groin. We don't know if that's going to hold up. If he gets the starting duties, that's great. Two, it's the second highest rushing team in the NFL behind only the Baltimore Ravens, so he's going to get the work. And three, I think very well half the league's infected with COVID, which is going to lead to a lot of So with those decisions behind me, I just thought that it would be great to have as much depth as possible. Um, And I think Dearness Johnson is a kind of a lock for eight-plus points behind the great offensive line. And um, I think Fab just gets less valuable as the season goes on last. It's just there's less less of the big time injuries and less of the developing players really come out. Johnny, I see you shaking your head and I'm not sure if it's because you disagree or if you're upset that you know that you're going to have to censor somebody for the first time on this podcast or if it's both of those things. Both of those things. We ask so little of Dalton and he just clearly never pulls through. Gonna have to bleep that out somehow. First time. But um, yeah, I woke up in bed, scrolled through my phone, checked wherever, see who I got. I literally had to like rub my eyes. I was like, is that $60 on just on anybody? And then I had to go wash my face and then go back to my phone and double check again. I was like, God, Dawn is an idiot. But I, I I think he'll get five or six points, maybe. So week. so it was 60 bucks in one of the leagues we're in and 50 bucks in the other. So not a ton of difference. And I haven't looked at your fab situation, but I'm going to guess that was... I'm going to guess you have around $20 left in both leagues would, would be my guess at this point, Dalton. I have $22 in one and I have $21 in the other. Okay. So around $20 in both. Um, I guess here's why. Number one, obviously, yeah, we, we know about Cream Hunt's groin that at least was an issue in practice last week, not an issue in the game at all, really. Um, I do think he's going to get work. I mean, obviously, you've got Dontrell Hilliard there, but... I think the Ernest Johnson is probably going to be the guy who wins out, but honestly, that that's really that's really based on mostly speculation on our parts. We we don't really know that for a fact. We just know who was kind of ahead of who the other day. But also, I mean, the score was forty-one fourteen in that game too. So we don't know how much that with the combination of them trying to keep Kareem Hunt fresh when the game was out of reach and then obviously got back in reach. But when it was out of reach. And Johnson got a lot of those carries. And as I mentioned in the waiver column, you know, I had him too. So it's not like I think he's a bad pickup. 
But the other kind of thing to remember or to realize about that game is the Cowboys' defense is just abysmal. I I think I think Johnny could have rushed for four yards a carry um, behind that offensive line against that defense in that game the other day. So there is that. And then um, to the whole argument about waivers or about Fab not being valuable at this point, I actually think the the point you brought up about COVID and just about you know, I mean, obviously we don't know about about who's infected, but. We, we do know that Stefan Gilmore is now on the COVID list. All the Chiefs tests have come back clean as of right now. But I think that's going to make Fab more valuable than ever going forward because you don't know what's going to happen on literally any roster. When, I mean, you outside of injury, you have that factor. So who knows what, what pops up? Maybe somebody gets in such a roster crunch that they have to drop one of those, like, handcuffs that you actually drafted and alexander madison a tony pollard and something happens to cook or zeke or you know or there's just another clear-cut situation that becomes available and i think the fab could be very valuable at that point i do believe that johnson is definitely worth the roster spot in the league where i could have used him i bid 14 dollars and i was kind of unsure what the market would be like on him did not think it was going to be 60 Mark did not tall. think did not think it was going to be sixty. I thought he might have a chance at going for less, just because he was uh, he's a less known commodity than Justin Jackson, and unlike Jackson, who has Kelly with him, he um, obviously Johnson has the clear guy in front of him and Kareem Hunt. Like even though he's going to get carries, like Kareem Hunt's the guy who's a top five play. Yep, I agree with all of that except for the fab part. I I'd rather just have a deep bench um, at the end of the day than having to worry about trying to just snipe guys off waivers from other people in part because of my fab situation. Uh, but in general, I think that just having a deep bench is going to be easier instead of me trying to play play off of waivers. If I get in a, in a negative COVID, COVID spot, I'm just trying to optimize roster upside by having as many starters as possible. Well, I, I'm not even saying it, – it, you don't, you necessarily, you, it's not that you want um, fab just so that if you end up in a bad spot um, COVID-wise, it's if somebody else ends up in a bad spot and you can take advantage of it and and swipe the the backup who's now the starter who's now a top twenty back. Um, and so I think that's where I still want my fab going forward. Chestnut checkers, Don. It is week five. Well, as it's week five, the team that has more wins than Johnny combined in both leagues in one league, I will continue to play checkers. It is week five. A lot of season yeah. left. We've never seen Dalton get overconfident with a fast start before. I'm sure it won't come back to bite him in, yeah. in any sort of fashion down Dalton the road. Has, Dalton has never had a blow-up season. Never has he collapsed. <laughs> I wake up and just live on your hate. <laughs> All right. Enough of the, the fab craziness. I hope other people didn't spend quite that amount. I would not advise it. But if you did, I hope it works out for you, except for Dalton, since he's obviously in two leagues with me. But we are going to talk about some guys that I guess we're going to do a panic meter. For lack of a better word, we're going to go through some guys and some situations. And basically, it's going to be a good old um, on a scale of one to 10. How are you feeling as far as panic on each of these guys? And we're going to hit on some key guys, some key situations who have got off to a slow start and how worried you should be about them. Um, obviously, we've already done the the buy low and sell highs, and this is not really an extension of that. This is one step further as far as like guys that we are actually legitimately worried about and their value is kind of permanently damaged up until, up until they prove us otherwise or guys that we still think can turn it around. And as always, you can subscribe to our newsletter at halfpointperpod.substack.com. Read the waiver column. Read usually the second column, whatever it whatever it is, comes out later in the week um, if we have one. I don't know if we're going to have one for sure this week or not, but just keep an eye on that and our Twitter at halfpointperpod for all of the content. Dalton, anything else to add on the introduction of the segment? No, I mean, here at this point, if you own some of these guys and we're telling you to panic uh, and we mentioned some of them as a buy low for other people, you might want to actually just trade them at a lower price. I think some of these players we're going to talk about uh, might not come back this season to be valuable Mm -hmm. week in, week out starters. Um, So I think that this isn't just a we're a quarter of the way through the NFL season and over a quarter of the way through the fantasy season. So it's time to really start assessing your assets and stop worrying about where you drafted a player and start worrying about what they've done for you in the first four weeks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the guy we're going to start with is one of the guys, actually two of these guys appeared on my buy low list. 
Um, one of them, Deshaun Watson. So he's the QB 16 through four weeks, scoring just 19 points per game. He has 58 rushing yards in four games, which I know we had kicked around the idea. We didn't necessarily predict it, but we had kicked around the idea of him beating the leading rusher on the team. And he has 58 yards in four weeks. The Vikings matchup was one that was absolutely there for him to bounce back. I put it in my DraftKings lineup, and it wasn't like it was a bad day. But until the fourth quarter, he really didn't do a whole lot. And whether that's because of play calling, because he didn't play well, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think he really played very well for a lot of that game. And obviously, um, you have Bill O'Brien, who spent his Monday presser talking about how they need to run the ball more after they'd already run way too much. And that's why he is no longer the coach and GM of the Houston Texans. Um, one of the reasons, in my opinion, but Dalton, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your panic level on Deshaun Watson, who was drafted as a top five quarterback, I think, pretty much in all leagues? Well, I'm putting him in at a seven. I'm pretty worried. Uh, and it starts with the fact that he was barely able to accrue 300 yards against a Minnesota Vikings defense. That was it's, It is putrid. It's not a good defense. Overall, um, on the ground and in the air, their offense looked inept to start the game. What I did find interesting, first I'm going to give you the good on Watson, and then I'm going to tell you why you should be really worried about Watson. Uh, he is the fifth best thrower in the NFL on throws of 10 or more yards downfield. He completed all four of his deep passes in that game, which is good. Uh, however, he produced a positive expected points added rate for fantasy players on only 45% of its plays. That's from Pro Football Focus. That's the sixth lowest rate of week four. So Deshaun Watson isn't producing positive fantasy outcomes for himself or for his players on his throws and then it gets worse now bill o'brien is gone but we know that their offensive coordinator or romeo cornell is taking over i'm not excited about romeo cornell i saw <laughs> yeah. him lead matt castle and the chiefs into oblivion uh hey, they, the beat first, the, they beat the undefeated packers he always that, has that. That, that that's what he has um, but on the first 15 offensive plays of the game against the vikings which we all know are generally considered the scripted game plays the uh, Houston was the last team in yards per play. So they their game planning is absurd and just not going well. And uh, Deshaun Watson's passing grade isn't that good right now. He's 75.4, which is 13th in the NFL. Now, I know he's played some good teams in there. He played the Chiefs. He played the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, but even then, Steelers if you're, and the Steelers, but even then, if you're a you know, a top five quarterback, somebody's mm -hmm. supposed to lead your team. You don't want to be there. Um, mm -hmm. So overall, Deshaun Watson doesn't look to be having the season he's having on the ground either. And then you take into addition without DeAndre Hopkins, uh, it's just not a positive situation. And I don't know how he's going to generate more points, especially with them losing fells for a while. It's just another weapon in that offense they don't have. Mm -hmm. So it, it's fine that you mentioned Cronell and uh, Bill O'Brien being gone. So I, I have Watson at a five. And the first thing I wrote down was, I think the only reason this isn't a nine is because Bill O'Brien is gone. And so even though Romeo Cornell doesn't exactly inspire confidence, you hope that maybe the game plan can get a little bit better. And like I mentioned before, you don't have the coach running the ball entirely too much and then coming back on Monday and talking about how they need to run the ball a lot more. I thought Brett Coleman, who is a film guy and he's a Texans fan, made a good point this week that we talk about volume shooters in basketball. Watson is kind of a volume quarterback in that he's one of those guys that the more you let him throw, the better he is. And I don't think that's untrue of a lot of guys, but I do think that is especially true with him just as you kind of, honestly, you, you just think back to some of his best games. It's when he's really been the focal point of the game plan, which isn't often there. I mean, we talked about before the season, Russell Wilson's, kind of lack of volume and we kind of point out like hey Deshaun Watson is like right in the same boat as far as what his volume passing wise looked like um right now he's only at 128 passing attempts which is 20th in the NFL I, I don't care what your schedule looks like I don't care what your game script looks like um and their game script has mostly been negative but even if it were mostly positive there is no world where you should be 20th in the NFL and passing with Deshaun Watson at your quarterback at your quarterback spot I'm also pretty worried about the supporting cast. Uh, I think David Johnson looks slower than he did in week one. I don't think he's looked like the same guy. The matchups have been tough, but I mean, obviously this week's wasn't. I, I just think his the best he looked was week one. I think Will Fuller's numbers from the other day were a little bit of fool's gold, just kind of like Watson's were too, because a lot of it was late in the game. 
um, as they were as they were trying to come back and pretty much airing it out every single play. And that's not something you can necessarily count on week in and week out. Um, as we've seen, Brandon Cooks is basically a zero right now. He was literally a zero the other day. If you started him in, in DraftKings like I did, you were pretty unhappy about that situation. Thank God I still somehow won won a little bit of money with with a zero in my lineup. Um, turns out maybe replacing a possible top three. Maybe top five for sure. Top five, maybe top three. And if you ask some people, maybe the one wide receiver in the NFL with a bunch of guys in Cooks and Fuller and Stills who are fine players, but all do the same thing: run deep and not really great at anything else. Turns out that might be an issue. Um, and then there's just the fact that Deshaun Watson, just like last year, is just running for his life. Um, the 58 rushing yards, I think, is just a product of how terrible the offensive line is. Um, he's been sacked 16 times this year, which is the most in the NFL. Think about that. He's 20th in pass attempts, and he's really good at escaping sacks. I mean, that's like one of his best qualities. He had a really good play the other day where he somehow made it out of a sack and got like two yards on the ground, and he's been sacked 16 times. Think about how much we think Joe Burrow has been hit this year. Burrow has 49 more passing attempts and has been sacked one fewer time. So think about just what, what that's been like for Deshaun Watson. Well, and I just want to add to your supporting cast argument and to the pressure argument. When DeAndre Hopkins was on the team, the Texans ranked eighth in the NFL in yards per play under pressure at 4.1 yards. Uh, without DeAndre Hopkins this season, they're 26th in the NFL with 2.6 yards per play under pressure. Mm -hmm. And I know part of that product is Deshaun Watson is probably one of the worst quarterbacks at holding the ball in his hands for longer than he should. But you um, also need guys who can get open quick. Exactly. You need players who get open. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't, I don't know if you agree with this, Evan. We talked a little bit about this when we talked about Josh Allen. Uh, but because of the the high value that you can get off of waivers from quarterbacks, if someone in your league still is betting on that name value for Deshaun Watson, I would likely at this point be selling him for something akin to even maybe a pass catching running back like James White. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just not really sure. I mean, yeah, I guess if if I'm the James, you know, and I am a James White um, fantasy fantasy owner in, in one league, I would do that trade every time. I'm still a little less concerned than you. And I think, like I said, I think it's really mostly because Bill O'Brien's gone. I want to kind of see what the game plan looks like under Cornell, under their offensive coordinator, who I'm assuming now is going to be actually the offensive coordinator and calling the plays at this point. So I, I, I want to see if that game plan looks any better, any more favorable as far as more volume and, and all of that stuff is concerned. And also, I, I still do just believe in the player. I, I think I think Watson is still one of the best five, six, seven quarterbacks in the NFL at this point. And unlike some other positions where it's easier to get away or to want to get away from some of these guys in your starting lineup, you might want to get away from Watson in your starting lineup, but you probably can't. Like, I don't think I'm starting too many guys like off waivers or too many like streamer type guys over Watson. Like if I were doing ranks, I still think I'd have him as a top 12 quarterback and unless things really like a couple weeks from now, if we're still at this point, we can reassess. But for right now, I think I'm kind, I'm willing to stand in the flames for another week or two and see what happens. Well, the good news for the Texans is, is they play the Jaguars next and then they go on to the Titans who that's a bye week for them. And then they play the Packers. So their, their schedule definitely softens up. They get the Texas or the Jaguars twice in two weeks or in four weeks. Uh, they get the Browns later on. Uh, but if you're a Deshaun Watson owner, you do in the playoffs with the Colts, the Bears, and then the Colts. And the Colts have the best pass defense, and the Bears are a great defensive team. Um, so unless he returns to normal form, he's probably a fade for any team looking for a playoff run with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I, the Colts. It's funny. I, I'm a little hesitant to annoy any defense with any kind of recognition who has already played the Jets this year. I think I think that has probably helped their stats. And obviously they lost the Jaguars, but they've also played the Jaguars, and that wasn't like an incredibly high-scoring um, game. So their schedule hasn't exactly been um, the toughest out of the gate. So I'm, I'm still not quite there as far as analyzing like the schedule in the playoffs quite yet for for most teams there there are a couple obviously like if you're you know if you're if you've got a guy playing against the jets in the playoffs you like that if you 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you definitely like that. But yeah. alrighty, if we've got nothing else to say on Watson, we're gonna move on to a guy who I'm sure we're both pretty panicked about at this point. And Kenyon Drake, um, he was the number one by low, not because I necessarily I, I I had more belief in Mixon bouncing back than Drake, but I thought you could get Drake at a lower price, so that's why he was number one. But I still did believe that Drake was gonna bounce back. Um, he was playing the Panthers last week. He was my star of the week because the Panthers had basically given it up to running backs all season. Um, I know I ran through these stat lines on the last podcast, but Josh Jacobs, Leonard Fournette, and Austin Eckler were all over 100 total yards, all scored at least one touchdown. Um, pretty much all had like 20-plus point fantasy days against that team. And Kenyon Drake goes 13 for 35, no touchdowns, no catches, no targets. Dalton, what's your what's your panic level one to ten on on Kenyon Drake? Ten. It's over for Drake season. I think um, it's very sad, and here's why. Even going forward, Kenyon Drake doesn't have the receiving upside. We touched on this a bit last week, saying he still had the rushing upside. I don't know if he has that anymore. Um, the Panthers were and are the worst team in the NFL at allowing running backs to catch passes. So I thought he would regress closer to last season's numbers. He didn't. All of the targets went to Chase Edmonds. He had five catches on six targets. That included a touchdown. Um, just for anybody listening, those five catches on six targets matched all of Kenyon Drake's receiving numbers for the season. <laughs> the, six, the six targets is actually one more than he's had all season. He's only had five targets. Five targets, five catches. And then Drake had 2.7 yards per attempt against... I mean, we, we can't overanalyze defenses like you said, but the Panthers are a bad defense. They've been yeah. churned up by every running back they've played against. Um, Kenyon Drake goes down. And we're told it's only that he got the wind knocked out of him, but he didn't return for a total of seven minutes. I find that hard to believe when you when you add that to the preseason talk from Cliff Kingsbury about Chase Edmonds and how he kind of liked him. And we all remember the reason that uh, Kenyon Drake ended up in Arizona was because Chase Edmonds got injured. It feels like this is a subtle changing of the guard. Um, additionally, I think Kyler Murray's rushing upside is hurting Drake because there's no point for the Cardinals to utilize an inefficient rusher when they can utilize an efficient rusher. Uh, but I did want to touch on this with you, Evan. Per pro football focus, the Cardinals have the easiest schedule for running backs going forward. Now, even if we don't give that the full, you know, it's, it's top, probably a top eight schedule for running backs. Mm -hmm. how, 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 how much do you trust Drake, or are you still hitting the panic button? Oh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm a 10 uh, on Kenyon Drake as, as far as my – my panic meter. And like I said, I mentioned the Josh Jacobs, Fortnite, Eckler, big games against the Panthers. And this was kind of the week where it's like, okay, like Drake, this is the week for Drake. If he doesn't produce, like then we're in trouble. And he flat out didn't produce. Um, this was great from JJ Zacharyson. Drake's target share week by week, 5.4, 6.1, 3, and 0%. It was never before below 10% once he got to the Cardinals last season. And obviously, even before he got to the Cardinals, it was a a pretty high target share on the Dolphins. It kind of always has been. He's on pace, like you mentioned, he's got five receptions and five targets this year. On pace for 20 receptions, which is still a small sample, could easily go up a, as we go on the season here. But that would be the lowest since his rookie season as a backup by like quite a bit. He had nine receptions that year because he didn't play very much. But pretty much every other year, he's 30-plus and more like closer to the, in the 40 to 50 range, quite frankly. Well, that's less than Josh Jacobs' rookie season. And <laughs> I've talked in a lot about how, how low that target share was. So it's not a good look. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned how Kingsbury has talk, talked about Edmonds and clearly likes him. And it seems like that's kind of their way of getting him on the field and getting him involved is in the passing game. And it, dur during the season so far, He's really not been very involved in the rushing game. He'll get about three, four, five carries a game if you're lucky. But in the receiving role, 17 targets, 13 receptions. And that that just seems like that's his role right now until proven otherwise. So Drake is basically right now a guy that you're only counting on in the rushing game. And you mentioned it. The volume has been good. But at the end of the day, you have a zero in the passing game. And you have a guy being outrushed by his quarterback. And his quarterback is one of the most electric runners in the NFL right now. He has all the red zone touchdowns, basically. He has four rushing touchdowns. Drake just has the one. I already had some concerns about Drake just as a player 
as a as a second round pick at least coming into the season and it's really easy to look at the last eight games last year where he had four touchdowns against the browns for example a huge game against the seahawks it's real easy to look at that as kind of the one-off in his career and kind of think this is just who he is because it's kind of who he had been before that eight games well and one thing that i think we noted a bit earlier in the pod uh, was that last year the Cardinals ranked second in rushing DVOA, um, but they ranked 28th in pass protection from their offensive line, which is a really weird statistical quirk where a team is really good at one thing and really bad at the other, and they're really on the outliers there. This year I looked at Brandon Thorne, uh, who, who writes for Establish the Run, and he he has the current DVOA for rushing for the Cardinals at 24th, and they're passing uh, at 22. So it looks like they've regressed as a pa- as a as a run blocking team as well. Uh, and the, like you said, you could really look at last year's slate and be a little encouraged as a Kenyan Drake owner. But I, I think it's more fool's gold for anybody looking to trade for him. I wouldn't want to evaluate him based on last year. The Cardinals are running more plays at a faster rate. They have more weapons in their offense. And, uh, I know it's still early in the season, but Eno Benjamin is a very, very good third string back. And he's another guy who might start getting work. And you could see this turn into a running back by committee fairly quickly. It could look a lot like the Ravens backfield, which we'll talk about later with a rushing quarterback. And all of a sudden, you don't know where your fantasy points are coming from. And it just gets really, really scary really quick for a team. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Benjamin because he's a guy that before the season, I actually, I heard a lot of people, a lot of like film guys, especially guys who evaluate college guys, uh, liked him more than Chase Edmonds as a player so I think uh yeah maybe he could become a factor at some point they do get the they do get the Jets this week which if the Panthers aren't the cure to your problems the Jets probably are so if you're a Kenyon Drake fantasy owner I mean you're probably starting him this week right like unless you went pretty running back heavy and those guys are still healthy and you've got good options or you've got some guys off waivers you're probably rolling drake out there one last time and hoping right unless you spent 60 dollars a fab on dear <laughs> I, I if i was doing rankings this week i will say i probably wouldn't have kenny and drake in my top 24 but as an owner you i think it's still time to start your studs but the the leash is short if he gives me a seven or like a six point outing he's probably not seeing the field again especially mm-hmm. on the the snap share and the rushing attempts he's getting as a player I, I would say that if he has a good game this week and somebody is willing to trade you anything that you like for him, I would absolutely do it. I, I'm looking to get off of him in any way I possibly can at this point. I would agree. Yeah, I think our panic's pretty high on Drake. Yeah, um, I am very glad that my Todd Gurley plus something for Kenyon Drake in one of our leagues got ignored because I don't want that guy anywhere near my roster at this point. Um. Okay, on to a guy who, oh, talk about not being usable so far in fantasy football this season, just put on the trade block in one of our leagues, T.Y. Hilton. For the fourth straight week, T.Y. did not reach five receptions and 60 yards. He hasn't done either of those yet this season. When Paris Campbell was healthy, which was not long, but when he was healthy, he looked like the best receiver on that team. Um, I think we all remember the big drops that Hilton had week one against the Jags, those stand out. And at the time it was like, okay, well he'll, you know, let's see if he'll bounce back. And he just really hasn't yet. He has not produced one week where he was worthy of a start. He's wide receiver 74 right now through four games, which I mean, when a guy doesn't have five receptions or 60 yards at that point, you think about dropping him, right? Yeah. Well, and hitting on the panic meter, I put Hilton at an eight. Um, First, I think we should talk about preseason expectations of what the the cause for drafting Kenyon or T.Y. Hilton in the seventh or sixth round was, and it was that he was going to replace the Keenan Allen role for a Philip Rivers-led offense. Uh, Keenan Allen with Philip Rivers averaged eight-plus targets a game. Uh, since the first game, T.Y. Hilton has sniffed that. He's not as good as Keenan Allen. I think we're seeing with Justin Herbert now that Keenan Allen is probably one of the most elite wide receivers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's yeah. unfortunately just been paired with a subpar QB play. So then you you go to the next step with Keenan Allen or with T.Y. Hilton, which is he gets downfield, which is his other plus. Well, he's 36th in the league in separation. He's not getting away from his cornerbacks. 
And then Rivers isn't throwing the ball downfield. Rivers is 28th in the league in average depth of target right next to Drew Brees. Which it, I was going to say, which, it, you know, two guys whose arms just look completely shot at this point, especially with, I mean, Brees, at least when he throws the ball, his motion still looks the same. It just doesn't quite come out the same. With Rivers, I mean, it's a shot, my, but my shoulder hurts just watching Phillip Rivers throw a football. Yeah. So now you're asking yourself what situation T.Y. Hilton becomes viable. Well, they lost one of their top receivers to IR already, and he's still not the the guy. Uh, this is a team that's very, very run heavy. They've rushed the ball 20 plus times in every game. They are very heavy in the 12 man personnel sets. They're using mm-hmm. tight ends like crazy. Trey yeah, Burton well, just came back and has more upside than T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> well, well, Mo Ali cox I, I have this written down. He's the leading receiver on that team with 194 yeah. yards, which that, ah, that that is just gross. 194 yards through four games is the leading receiver on an NFL team. Hilton, Pascal, Naheem Hines, all involved. Jonathan Taylor involved. Um, Jack Doyle is in out of lineup, but when he's in, he's somewhat involved. Trey Burton. I mean, there's just a lot of guys um, catching the ball very close to the line of scrimmage and getting about five to six yards to catch at this point in, in that offense. It, it, I think it's possible here where we have a situation where we don't think any of these guys, obviously Taylor in the running game, you're starting him, but just the pass catchers, I don't think any of these guys are really worth a start at, at, at all right now. I mean, if you're taking a shot on Mo Alley Cox because you're chasing the points, um, I'm fine with doing that tight end. But he's like a low-end streamer. Outside of that, like I don't want to start Naheem Hines unless I'm extremely desperate. I'm not starting T.Y. Hilton. Um, and just to give my number on T.Y. Hilton, he, he's a 10 right now for me too. I'm kind of in the same boat as I am with Drake. I'm pretty close to just being done with T.Y. Hilton. I don't think I would drop him yet and I think that's only because his name is T.Y. Hilton I think if he was just a random receiver who had this start to the season he'd be dropped but we're we're hoping we're we're, we're looking at the track record obviously he has the track record for a reason he has been a great player in this league or a very good player in this league but I'm not dropping him yet but I am not even close to starting him right now i just feel kind of paralyzed if he's on my roster quite frankly let's play a quick name game would you on your roster rather have laviska chenault or ty hilton chenault would you rather have james washington or ty hilton ty hilton would you rather have russell gage or ty hilton russell gage there you have it, folks. There's uh, two out of the three waiver wire pickups of the season uh, have outperformed Ty. They've outperformed, obviously, and we would probably rather start them. And I, I think that just leads credence to you got to be ready to cut ties to your players at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think if you cut Ty Hilton, I can't blame you, and I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing. But if you want to hold on and just and and hope, I, I understand because if he does have a blow up game you're, you're going to be kicking yourself for cutting them just because it's T.Y. Hilton. So I'd give it a little more time if you can, but you might not be able to just with, with your roster situation. And I totally understand if you want to cut them. I, I might do the same. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think this is almost two seasons now. He's been really erratic and sporadic mm-hmm. in his performances to a very, very uh, – it's, it's impossible to predict where his good games will be. Yeah, and he's always been erratic, but the difference – between now and then is that the erratic games, he also sprinkled in a 35-point game um, every so often, a, a 25- and 20-point game uh, every couple of weeks. Those just haven't come for, for a while now, so we'll, we'll, see. we'll see if they do eventually this year, but I am concerned. And on to the Ravens' backfield. Not just one player here. We're talking the whole backfield as Johnny turns his attention to really pay attention to this conversation. Um, here was the snap count week four. Gus Edwards, 22, J.K. Dobbins, 21, and Mark Ingram, 14. Dalton, give me, give me your panic level on this entire backfield right now. Well, this one was hard for me because uh, I think each player has their own panic level. As a whole, I'm a six on the Ravens' backfield because, first of all, they are not as dominant of a rushing team as they were last year because last year they were a historically dominant rushing team. Uh, this year, their rushing success rate is eighth in the NFL. Last year, it was first in the NFL with the league high in rush attempts, which is something you probably won't see just because of so many attempts leads to a decrease in the overall success. 
Uh, now I'm just going to give you a quick individual breakdown of each player and where I'm at. If you don't have Mark Ingram or J.K. Dobbins, you should own Gus Edwards in your league, is my opinion, because the, they came out and they said he's the closer, which means when the Ravens are up on a team, he's going to be the one running the ball. Um, he's also outperformed Mark Ingram in every game in yards per attempt, in rushing success rate, and he's just looked like the better back of the backfield among all three of them, in fact. Um, so I think if you don't own J.K. Dobbins or Mark Ingram, it's a good time to capitalize on that and hope that if one of those two go down or get benched, Gus Edwards suddenly becomes a very valuable asset. Well, if you're if you're picking him up, you're picking him up just as purely a handcuff because there's in, in no world, unless you're just absolutely desperate, in no world are you going to start a guy who you're hoping gets the fourth quarter touches. Like that's just not a way to live your fantasy life, I don't think. Absolutely, but I think he's one of the more high-value assets in the handcuff game right now who's probably low-owned in leagues. Mm -hmm. Um, As for J.K. Dobbins, I think J.K. Dobbins has solidified the third-down role. I don't think the third-down role is very valuable in this offense, with that being said, because of Lamar Jackson, and we've talked about it uh, you know, to a T in this podcast that rushing quarterbacks and their check down rate is so low. It mm-hmm. just doesn't occur a lot. Um, J.K. Dobbins, though, has very high upside if Mark Ingram goes down. He, he's a hold, but I, there's no chance I'm starting J.K. Dobbins in any league. Um, he's a bench asset at this point. And then Mark Ingram is the one I'm very worried about. Uh, he's probably the highest panic meter. I wrote about him as a bust. I've talked about him in, you know, ad nauseum on this podcast. I would trade or, or at least be incredibly worried about putting him in my starting lineup. He saved two games with long touchdowns. He has the lowest snap count percent of any player. Um, now, it's very hard to extrapolate, extrapolate that because they've led in every game. But the one game that was close, which was against the Chiefs, Mark Ingram still didn't see an increase in his snap share, which means that he's viewed as equal to the other two backs at this point. We can't really evaluate past what we've seen, which is that Mark Ingram is no more valuable than Gus Edwards or J.K. Dobbins. The only difference to me is that Mark Ingram has gotten two touchdowns, so he looks more valuable on paper right now. But he has a 49-yard touchdown out of the Wildcat, and then he has a touchdown he had last week, which saved his day. Otherwise, he had 14 snaps for the entire game. Hey, RB22, so I'll take the W on, on that bet last week but okay so i'm at a seven for the backfield as a whole i didn't go down and break break down the individual guys and if i feel more or less panicked about them but what i will say about ingram specifically is really who this applies to is you mentioned that we haven't really seen a competitive game yet you mentioned the one game they were close they really were never that close in the chiefs game they were within seven but they were never in a positive game script except for the very beginning of the game when lamar jackson was the one who was running wild. So we really haven't seen them just like in a normal back and forth football game where you would think that maybe they have to use Ingram as the lead guy because he probably the you know the lead guy. We just haven't really seen that yet. And I'm not sure when we're going to because they play Cincinnati this week at Philadelphia next week, and then they have a bye week. So week eight might be the first time that I think they play Pittsburgh in week eight. So that might be the first time where you're like, okay, we can really see how this offense is going to operate when it's a normal football game, a close game the whole week, and we can really evaluate the snap counts at that point. But, I mean, yeah, for now, it's just they've either been so far ahead or playing from behind in the one case that it's hard to know what they're actually going to do when the rubber really meets the road in that backfield. But we, the thing that you fear with – any backfield basically is it somehow turns into a three headed committee, which is what it is right now. Ingram is RB 41 Dobbins RB 42 Gus Edwards RB 54. So basically for now, I think you're looking to get away from using any of those guys. If you can, you're, you're basically, I think you've got to, you've got to bench them and you've got to make them prove it. You've got to let the situation play out if you can and kind of, I don't want to say hope for an injury because you never hope for an injury, but for one of these guys to really emerge, you need something like that to to clear the way in this backfield. Yeah, and if you're a Mark Ingram owner like Johnny Pham is, uh, coming off of a touchdown game for Mark Ingram, he's probably a good sell high at this opportunity. Like you just mentioned, it might be three weeks until we see four weeks kind of the buy until Mark Ingram's in a competitive game, so we can get a real understanding of his role in that offense. And who knows? if that looks good because everybody knows the Ravens lose their composure and they lose really their sense of offense in any game where they're not leading by a a two touchdown margin. 
Well, I, 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 I don't know if that's fair. I think um, it's more when they're trailing. Like, it, it, I don't worry about that if they're just in a close back and forth game or like they're down by a touchdown. But if you get them down by double digits, yeah, we, we've seen them panic, and especially against the Chiefs and in the playoffs. But um, we'll we'll see what happens in, in a back and forth game. It's like, I said, yeah, it's just hard to gauge right now. But if you can if you can sell Ingram for um, a guy you feel comfortable in, it's not a bad time to do it because the numbers still look okay on a game the game basis and you can you can probably you know if you're negotiating a trade you can probably hit hit the point home that you know hey they were down so big against the chiefs they 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 couldn't really run the ball and then in some of those other games oh well they were up so big they were they were letting gus edwards and dobbins kind of kind of run the show ingram look at that he was still productive in the limited role only because they didn't need him i think you could maybe still kind of make that pitch and and get somebody valuable back would you rather own Kenyon drake or mark ingram right now uh my god um i think i would still say drake but it's close which is a more of an indictment on drake because drake was an early second round pick ingram at least is a guy that you drafted the you know be your flex probably yeah i would say i'd still rather own drake but it's definitely an indictment on drake that it's that close mm-hmm. um Okay, another guy. This guy, Dalton, you were pretty big on before the season. We've got uh, one of our bets, Evan Ingram versus Tyler Higby. Um, again, it's still going pretty well for me. Evan Ingram, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your panic level on the tight end 25, averaging 5.4 points per game? Well, I just want to say this before we get started on Evan Ingram. I said at the onset of the season that the Giants opened up with an absolute horrible matchup for them. Um, they are finally through that. So they played the Steelers, the Bears, the Niners, the Rams. Um, all of those teams are incredibly talented defensively, except for maybe the 49ers who had lost some guys going into that game and probably laid off the gas a little bit in that game because I, I think I saw I think I I think I saw a stat and I don't know the exact number, but I'm just gonna ballpark it because it'll still get the point across. I think the stat was something like the Niners had like Sixty million dollars, like less in their cap, like as far as like the amount of money they're paying for their roster. The guys that were playing, it was like sixty million less than the Giants because they had so many big name guys out, and they still just housed them. They killed them. It wasn't a pretty game. Um, and the New York Giants are a bad football team. With that being said, their next. Their six-game slate going forward is ideal, which is why my panic for Evan Ingram is a three. They go the Cowboys, the Washington football team, the Eagles, the Buccaneers, the best defense they'll play on that, Washington again, and then the Eagles. Um, so I'm not panicking on Evan Ingram yet because he still, he still has the target share. He's second on the team in target share, only behind Sterling Shepard, who is now on IR. Uh, without Shepard, he got six targets in a game for a measly 25 yards, which... I also expect that to increase. Uh, I expect Daniel Jones to come around a little bit. He, uh, passing for 180 yards a game just isn't good. If not, I expect Joe Judge to change the offense significantly in some way. They have a low average depth of target. I don't know if that's a result of a bad offensive line or bad decision making on the part of Daniel Jones. Probably a little bit of both. But let, me ask, Ingram, let, let me ask before we get off of that topic why, what has Daniel Jones showed you? that you expect him to come around. Did you expect Mitch Trubisky to come around last year? Because I think those guys are basically the same. Yeah, so this is all predicated off of last year. Um, Daniel Jones had a couple of blow-up games. I think he had... Um, go listen to Matthew Barry if you want to hear Daniel Jones' positive talk. I'm not going to talk him up. Uh, what I do expect is that Evan Ingram and Darius Slayton are the two most talented weapons on this offense at this point. They should be getting looks, and they can produce with those looks. Uh, so Evan Ingram's not somebody I'm going to panic and sell. He's somebody who I probably wouldn't start this week, and I would find somebody else to start in lieu of him. But I do think Evan Ingram will return on value, and I still think he's going to end up being in the top 12 tight end uh, position. But uh, I would use this what should be a boost-up game for the New York Giants as a good evaluator of that offense. And if it looks bad, then I'm probably increasing my panic from a 3 to a 7. I'm at a 7 right now, and I think if you're advocating for not starting a tight end you can't really roster that tight end in a lot of situations um you've you've got to trade him if you can get anything for him if you don't want to start him or just cut bait and move on um daniel jones so a lot of this is more about him than ingram because i think ingram 
is a fine is a pretty good player. He's talented. I think it's kind of been proven to me that he's more of an athlete than a football player right now. Um, but Daniel Jones is just flat terrible. I watched a lot of that Rams game um, for obvious reasons this past weekend, and he stares down receivers. He throws the ball at guys' feet. He throws terrible interceptions, holds the ball way too long, and gets stripped. I mean, it's just it's terrible. Imagine if he didn't have those couple of blow up games last season, the promising start, and even within those games, the turnovers was, were still there. The issues were still present. What would we think of him today? Like, would would we think of him in, in the same breath as Dwayne Haskins, as Mitch Trubisky? Because right now, through four games, he has a sixty eight point three passing rate passer rating on ESPN. The only quarterback lower than that, there's only one, is Carson Wentz, which I know Wentz had a rough start, but I was a little surprised by that. Um, but guys ahead of him include the aforementioned Mitchell Trubisky, Dwayne Haskins, Nick Foles, Nick Mullins, who got benched for C.J. Beathard the other night. It's been that bad for Daniel Jones, and I don't really have any confidence that it's going to turn around. I think it's going to be really hit or miss, which means – Evan Ingram is going to be really hit or miss. He's going to be really hard to trust. And he's just, I think that whole offense is going to be a giant headache. You're never going to know when you can actually use those guys. Yeah, I'm still holding out a little bit of hope there. I mean, last season, Daniel Jones had five 300 yard passing games. Uh, I think that overall, with the schedule softening up, is the time to evaluate this team. I, you know, the, the, real quick though, I think my, my point is when a guy is, is has proven to at least this year be as bad as he is. It's hard to feel good about him based on the schedule because just because of the quality of player that he is, which isn't good, you just don't know what you're going to get game in and game out. When the players are good and they have good matchups, that's different. But when a guy is bad, you have you can have higher hopes, but you still it's still going to be a roller coaster, I think. Well, and I would make that argument for Evan Ingram. I think Evan Ingram is a talented, uh, athletically skilled tight end. And I think now because of the injuries the offense has seen, that he'll see an increase in targets, which just increase his ability to have a good fantasy outing. That would be my counter argument to that. I know Daniel Jones is probably not a good football player, but I think Evan Ingram is a talented tight end skill-wise and as an athlete is very talented. Yeah, I just don't necessarily vo- – vo- I know people say volume is king, but – not not always. Volume doesn't always equate into into success. I'm trying to look up how many. So he has 30 targets through four games. So it's not like the volume hasn't been there. 17 receptions. The problem is 131 yards, 7.7 yards per reception for probably one of the top five athletes to be playing the position. That is an indictment on the quarterback not being able to get him the ball further than like two yards down the field. Doesn't have a touchdown yet. His longest catch, 22 yards. Um, I'd be curious to see what his A dot is this year, but I, it can't be good. Um, it, it, I, I just don't have confidence that you're going to know which weeks to use them. And at that point, I, I would just rather chase tight end, uh, you know, the the high tight end from the week before um, every week than than stick with this guy. I think. Yeah, I would probably leave him on my bench one more week and play it out, especially with the schedule significantly softening up and you getting a look to see whether or not the New York Giants football team are the worst offense in the NFL or not. <laughs> I can't believe they scored 16 points on the Steelers uh, as a side. Yeah, I'm I'm going to see if I can find where whatever Ingram is in dot as, as we move on here. But we can move on to the last guy, DJ Moore. Um and gosh, it's been it's been a bumpy ride for him too so far this season. He's the wide receiver 31 this year. He's 18th in yards, but no touchdowns. It seems like Robbie Anderson, at least so far, it has been the lead guy. But Dalton, on a scale of one to ten, where are you at with with DJ Moore? Uh, I'm a six with DJ Moore. Um, I also didn't draft any shares of him. If I would have drafted him, I might be closer to an eight. And here's why: first, like you said, Robbie Anderson really looks to be the wide receiver one in Carolina. And just another list of the players that Adam Gase woefully mismanaged and misused and should be fired as an NFL coach and never see the field again, uh, Chris Herndon. Uh, secondly, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is an okay passer, but DJ Moore's upside was that he is a great contested ball catcher and that he really could break those catches away. But 
on contested catches, the Carolina Panthers are 30th in those pass attempts, which means Teddy Bridgewater is just taking the smarter looks, the easier throws, the under throws, and isn't throwing up to DJ Moore like he historically uh, could have gotten. And then last but not least, DJ Moore is 42nd in the NFL in red zone targets, uh, which is a place where I would have thought he, he would have been better. But this offense is very efficient at rushing the ball. It has very efficient pass catching backs that have changed that. Um, so overall, it's just very hard for me to point to where the upside is in this offense for DJ Moore, minus them changing some things after four games in, which is a possibility. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, so I'm at a three with DJ Moore. I, I still think he's going to bounce back. I mentioned he's the wide receiver 31, 18th in yards, 28th in receptions. So it hasn't been good, but it, it hasn't been like it's not been like an abomination. I don't think he doesn't have any touchdowns. It's been fine, but obviously not what you sign up for. Um, Robbie Anderson is the wide receiver 10. He's sixth in the NFL in yards, and he just he only has one touchdown. So the touchdowns just have not been there in the passing game, at least for the receivers so far. I expect that to change. And you mentioned Teddy. I do think Teddy is kind of a, a, a dump down, don't take chances guy, but when you have DJ Moore, I do think that the offense is going to open up a little bit. Take, take some shots, at least some mid-range shots to him because he, he did the Michael Thomas last year. It's not like he wasn't able to get the ball 15, 20 yards down the field. I think DJ Moore is still a stud. I don't have him. Well, I actually do have him in one league, eight-man league. It's not really a real league, but I, I, I'm i still okay with rolling with DJ Moore. I think it's going to turn around. He, he's a talented guy, and just at the end of the day, when you get past like the top 12 receivers, it's just kind of, it's really flat. It's really even. And I think he's one of the more talented guys kind of in that next group. And I'm still, I'm okay with standing in the flames for DJ Moore. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sell him or anything. Um, I, I'm not obviously over panicked about him, but I do think he might have a, a higher cap or a lower upside than we initially thought this season. Um, and it was the quarterback change and the emergence of Robbie Anderson. I don't know if he cracked hundred yards yet last game. I know he was at 99 with six receptions for a while in Robbie Anderson. Uh, but it is kind of intriguing that Matt Rule has chosen to really let Robbie Anderson run the, the higher percentage of routes for a catch rate. And really it looks like Robbie Anderson is uh, not more talented than DJ Moore, but is a better fit for this offense than DJ. Well, Moore. And, and I thought coming into the season that Anderson was too far away from, from more in the rankings. And I think he's really shown us that he can do more than just um, run vertical routes like he was doing with the Jets pretty much exclusively for the last couple of years. But I would expect that to flip and that I think I think DJ Moore, if I had to place a bet, I'd say DJ Moore is the he outscores Robbie Anderson rest of season and he's the top guy in that offense. I would take that. I'd say Robbie Anderson outscores DJ Moore. So we're we're talking from this point on. We're not including yep. their numbers weeks one through four. All right. I'm saying DJ Moore outscores Robbie Anderson. Um We'll just do week 16. We're not going to do week 17 in any of these bets. Yeah, works for me. All right. Well, on to the streamers, which have not been the greatest success of this podcast, but we're still going to give them anyway. Um, I'm going to actually go with, D with DJ Moore's quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. They play at Atlanta this week. Um, let's just say you can put up points uh, on that Atlanta defense. I think Teddy Bridgewater is probably a top 12 play this week. And if you need a guy... Um, if Rodgers is on a bye um, on your team, I, I think uh, Bridgewater is a is a good and safe fill-in. Um, my streamer of the week is Daniel Jones. Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a joke. It's uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger, who was dropped in a lot of leagues due to the COVID uh, cancellation. He plays the Eagles defense, who have two cornerbacks that were on their roster to start the season. Both of them were on the practice squad. Fletcher Cox just got injured. I don't really see them generating any sort of defensive pressure against Big Ben here. Additionally, um, the Steelers got a bye to prepare for this game. The line's already at seven. I think it could get higher up to maybe eight and a half in favor of the Steelers. I don't think that the Eagles are a good team, and I think that Big Ben really has a good chance to smash this week in that start. Yep, and to that point, my star of the week is Deontay Johnson. He had an extra week to to get ready and, and pass the, the concussion protocols, which he's done. He's in a favorable matchup against the Eagles who have been especially vulnerable to receivers who line up wide. Um, this year they, they allowed the average of nine catches, which is fifth most to that spot. 
of any defense so far. And obviously that is where Deontay Johnson makes his money for the most part is lining up out wide. I think he is an excellent start this week. Um, you probably have other guys who you obviously had to start over him last week and maybe you started over him in the past this season, but I'm, I'm full steam ahead on Deontay Johnson this week. Wow. Uh, we have the same player. Yeah, and that, that's your star of the week. I thought yeah. you were I thought you were giving me the hands because it was Juju and you were upset about that. No, um uh outside of everything you said, I'm not gonna stick onto this. But the only other thing I would say is maybe in DFS there's some recency bias occurring here because Nick Mullins was so bad that the wide receivers didn't look good in the game against uh the Eagles. And I think there's a good spat spot here for Deontay Johnson in general. Um mm-hmm. people Chase Claypool could be an interesting if you're super duper 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 desperate. Uh, he's another guy that could be interesting. I might start him in DFS as a, a mm-hmm. pump play, but I wouldn't start him in a season long. Sure, absolutely. And so your sit of the week, who who you got here? It's just the Rams backfield. I'm not going to talk about it much besides the fact they cost me money. Uh, now Cam <laughs> Akers is back. Uh, you have, I don't know if you read it, but wow, I am blanking on the, Sean McVay was asked about the decision not to play Daryl Henderson in that game. And his explanation is like six pages long and it it's just absurd. He's just like, well, the game was going in this direction and yada, yada, yada. It just really looks like Sean McVay is going to wake up and say today, I prefer X and they're going to get the carries. Uh, I, I can't believe I'm still more frustrated about this than you were. Uh, <laughs> Daryl Henderson is the number one graded PFF running back, and he didn't get the start. Yeah, which I I did want to say that the fact that PFF graded him as their best overall running back through however many weeks I think is a little absurd. But he has been good, but that's a little absurd to me. But go well, on. it's it's the sample size in part because he he did miss a game and all. Of that. I know, but still. But no, that I mean, just you know, Sean McVay, figure it out and pick a back, okay. That's what I have to say about that situation. Any system that doesn't grade Alvin Kamara as a better running back than, um, or Aaron Jones, at least, than Henderson, and no matter the sample size, with how great those guys have been, I'm a little bit skeptical of um, <laughs> at this point. But I, I'm kind of with you. I think if you have Henderson, which I do, you probably have other guys who are safer and you feel better about starting this week. So you can probably get away from him, but I'm not looking to get away from him like at all costs because I, I don't, I don't think cam acres is going to be like thrust right back into a big part of that committee right away. I think they're going to ease him back in. And I, I, I think Henderson has a good chance to still be a productive back this week, but you're just assuming a lot of risk if you start him. So it really depends on what you need. If you need, a guy who could be in position for a big game because I, I mean they play Washington, so they they should be ahead. He should have chances, but we don't know if, we don't know who who that's going to be necessarily. But if you're looking for upside, if you need big points out of somebody this week, I can see using him. Um, my sit of the week to throw a little water on on the Chargers uh, backfield situation here is Joshua Kelly, and I wouldn't start um, Justin Jackson either, but Joshua Kelly being the main guy. Because if you have him, you're probably eager to start him, um, given, that, given that Eckler is obviously out. Kelly should be the lead guy. But the Saints have only given up 3.6 yards per carry. They've been one of the better rushing defenses this year and last year. I think they were the best last year in the NFL. Kelly's fumbled two weeks in a row. Uh, last week, it was a bad exchange. But the week before, it was just an unbelievably soft fumble, quite frankly. So they did go back to him. So it's not like they he's in the doghouse that we know of. But... Just a little eyebrow raising, something to keep an eye on. That's just a thing that could go wrong. If he fumbles again, he he could be he he could be in the doghouse. And I'm just just with that and the defense of the Saints. I'm just taking a wait and see approach with the whole backfield, but especially Kelly because he's the guy you're probably wanting to start. And I would I would just advise that you wait if you can. Yeah, um, it's not a good matchup, and you likely don't have Joshua Kelly, you know, as a week to week starter, or at least hopefully you're not in that situation this early in the season. But it could could be your case. Uh, you probably are salivating at the Jets and the Dolphins as the next two games and the mm-hmm. Jags. But I agree with you. The Saints' rush defense is really good. Um, Chargers are probably going to have to pass a lot. I think Justin Jackson is the pass catching back. I can't make that uh, prediction 
to be clear yet, mm-hmm. um, but it looks like he he has historically been a better pass catcher than a rusher. So you're yeah. not going to get value there either. Yeah, I think they're both going to be involved in both aspects of the game with, with Kelly more in the running game and Jackson more in the passing game. But I think it'll be by committee in both areas, quite frankly. It's kind of what, what my my guess is on the situation. And what I would say is, I don't think it's not like Kelly is a guy you can buy low on or not pay for or anything like that. But if the Joshua Kelly um, owner in your league is in a situation where they really, really need a win this week and Kelly is not a guy that they want to play for obvious reasons that I just talked about. I mean, that could be a guy that you could get for a good value if if that person needs a win and you can trade them somebody they feel better about this week and you can have somebody you feel better about in the future, perhaps. Yeah, because the 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 way the injury to Austin Eckler was described, there is not there is at least a 20% possibility he doesn't play the rest of the season. A serious hamstring injury, and then the part of his knee was also injured in it. Um, and you just don't like that in your running back. And if the Chargers believe that they're not going to be competitive for the playoffs this year you could see them just not hurting the guy more that they paid what 20 million for four years 16 million it's possible but he could also be back in four weeks too we, we, we just don't really know at this point but i think that's gonna do it for us today on episode 16 of the half point per podcast follow us on twitter at half point per pod I think we will have another live stream this Sunday. That's uh, still that's a little up in the air. We'll, we'll let you guys know um, for sure on Twitter at some point this week. Um, but if we do have it, get your start sit questions in, and we will talk about lineup decisions and and things of that nature. Maybe Johnny will be on this week if we do, in fact, have it. Our show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, most, notable, most notably Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review, subscribe, follow the newsletter, follow us on Twitter, and we will talk to you guys very soon.